The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. In case you don't know, it's Super Bowl Sunday. How many of you guys cheering for the Rams today? Everybody cheering for the Rams? How many of you guys are still progressing in your sanctification, the rest of you? All right. Hey, I texted a couple of pastor friends of mine in Boston this morning a picture of my preaching outfit today, and he replied back. He said, yes, but read Daniel chapter 8, verse 7. I read it. It said, the goat charged furiously at the ram and struck him, (laughs) breaking off both his horns. Now the ram was helpless, and the goat knocked him down and trampled him. No one could rescue the ram from the goat's power. And I said, yes, but if you keep reading, verse 25 says the only reason the goat is successful, which by the way, the goat is Satan, is because he's deceitful. (laughs) And verse 25 also says, and he's great in his own mind, by the way. (laughs) Go Rams. Hey, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I'm excited for a Super Bowl party this afternoon. Anybody going to a party this afternoon? All right. Uh, I read this. According to Wikipedia, uh, use your own judgment according to accuracy whether or not it's true. Uh, 28 million pounds of potato chips will be eaten today. 1.25 billion chicken wings will be eaten today. And Tyler, this is for you. 8 million pounds of guacamole will be consumed on Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know what is being served by the host at the party I'm going to, but I hope it's some good chicken wings today. Hey, in Luke chapter 14, if you brought a Bible today, go ahead and turn it on, turn it to, if you didn't bring one, it's going to be on the screens. We're in a series, the fourth week, um, that we've called Mission 555. And we've challenged you as a church to think about and to write down, and a couple of weeks ago we gave you this card, this Mission 555 card. We've challenged you to think about five people in five networks and to serve them with five different opportunities. And so the first week, we talked about praying for them. Last week, Shane talked about serving them. This week, we're going to talk about inviting them. Next week, we'll talk about, or two weeks from now, we'll talk about uh, giving gospel-centered literature. We're going to take next week off. I'll tell you why in just a moment. And then the fifth week, we're going to talk about speaking the gospel to them. And so what we've said in this series is that we want to challenge you to think about your life that you currently have. We're not asking you to add anything to it. We're thinking about your existing life. How can I live it intentionally and missionally so that other people in my life could come to know Jesus? So today, we're going to focus on inviting them. Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at a party. This is appropriate for Super Bowl Sunday. Jesus is at a party in Luke chapter 14. By the way, meals are very important in the book of Luke. One commentator said Jesus is at a party, he's coming from a party, or he's going to a party. Luke chapter 7, verse 34 says, Jesus came eating and drinking. And so in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is teaching about hospitality. And he's teaching about how the kingdom of God, bear with me for a moment, is like a party, all right? I sort of like that analogy. Most of us don't think that Christian life is like a party. We think it's more like a set of rules. We think it's more like constricting behavior. But Jesus in Luke chapter 14 is teaching about how Christianity is like a party. In essence, Jesus is saying, following me is everything your heart ever desired. It's everything you've ever wanted. 
It's everything you were created for. It's like a party. God loves parties, by the way. Do you like a party? You like it? Do you like a good party, by the way? The introverts in the room are like, no, I do not like a party. You love a good party. <clears throat> we love a good party. You know why? Because we were created in the image of God, and God loves parties. Let me prove it to you. One of Jesus' first miracles was to liven up the party with better drink. At the end of the Bible, we give a picture of heaven, and it's a picture of this beautiful, massive wedding feast where we, the bride, are present. God loves parties. And so Jesus is at this party in Luke chapter 14. And the party is being thrown by these religious leaders of the day. And all the important people in town are at the party. All the celebrities in town, everybody who has the, the greatest Instagram following is in town, uh, is at the party. Everybody with the greatest bank accounts are at this party. And because everybody at this party is important, what happens in the verses previous to verse 12 is that all of these people are jockeying for the right place at the table. It's important to know in Jewish society at this time that your place at the table was sort of a social status thing. So everybody's jockeying for a place at the table, and Jesus is walking along the table, and he's teaching them that in the kingdom of God, we don't seek out the seat of honor. We don't seek out the seat of honor. Rather, we sit in the low place, and we allow the host to call us out to sit in a better seat because the seat of honor is reserved for Jesus. By the way, that's the essence of the gospel. That's the essence of the gospel in that we don't deserve to be in the presence of Jesus, but he himself took the low place so that we could have the seat of honor, so that we could be exalted to the place of honor in heaven. And so it's important as we launch into Luke chapter 14 here for just a few minutes to understand that Jesus is hosting a party. Can you bear with me for the language for the day? Jesus is hosting a party, and he's inviting you to his party. And by the way, he gives us the privilege of inviting other people to the party as well. I've been now knowing Jesus and following Jesus longer than I've not been following Jesus and I know this, I've been in ministry a long time, almost as long as I've been knowing Jesus now, and I know this, most of us who follow Jesus don't invite other people to the party that we've been invited to. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 14, is going to tell us why. He's going to tell us why we don't invite people to the party that he's throwing. Luke chapter 14, verse 12, we're going to go down to verse 14. Would you read with me? If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. So Jesus has walked along, and he's talked to the guest at the table. Verse 12 tells us now he looks at the person hosting the party, and he says to him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. <laughs> and so you will be repaid. Verse 13, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, Verse 14, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, if we remember, if we read previous to verse 12, we see all of these people jockeying for the right place, the, the high place at the table. And the same symptom in a person's heart that would cause them to jockey for the high place at the table is the same symptom that would cause people to invite important people to their party. Listen to me for just a moment. The same symptom that would cause people to invite preferred guests to a party is this symptom that causes us to falsely believe 
this cultural narrative that everybody exists to elevate me. Jesus is going to sort of give us three reasons why, if you sort of parse this passage, why we don't invite people to the party, the sort of three roadblocks that keep us from inviting others to the party. And this is the first one. The scripture here tells us that the host of the party invited important people, rich neighbors. And so the first roadblock to inviting others to Jesus is that we believe that everybody exists to elevate my life. We believe that everybody exists to elevate my life. And so Jesus says, don't invite the rich. Why? Because they may invite you back. What does that mean? Well, I wouldn't want to be invited back. Well, what's happening here in Luke chapter 14 is that this is a purely business meeting. In Jewish society, meals were the primary way of conducting business. And so if you invited the rich, they may invite you to their party. Your generosity would ultimately benefit you. So what's happening is there's a strategic decision, a strategic economic decision for who is at this party. But if you invited the lame instead, if you invited the cripple, if you invited the poor, listen, it would, it would imply that there would be people coming to your house that could not reciprocate your generosity. Now, bear with me for a moment. Isn't this how L.A. works? Isn't this how L.A. works? We have this concept of relationships in our city where we barter and trade and buy and sell relationships. I'll be friends with you based on what you can do for me. And so I remember the first six months Tyler and I were here and planting this church together. I remember feeling so defeated. Oftentimes we'd sit at coffee meetings with people because we'd meet people and we had no church already. We had no existing church. We had, we had no contacts to, to give to people. We had nothing to offer people but friendship at Jesus and caring for their soul. And I would feel so defeated because I knew that the city that we lived in was this 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 uh, environment and this culture where we barter relationships. I'll be friends with you if you can do something for me. And here we are, two pastors in a city with no church and no contacts and nothing to offer people but Jesus and friendship and care for their souls. And I remember thinking, this is so defeating because we have nothing to offer people in their eyes. You know, sometimes people choose the church they go to for purely business reasons, right? It can add to my contacts. It can add to, to uh, uh, my business reputation. It may advance my careers. I would say often to Tyler at the very beginning, we would meet with people, and we would leave a meeting, and I would say to them, they'll be here when we're running 500, but they won't be here when we're running 50 because we'll have something to offer to them. Culture is so flipped this narrative about how my life should be lived with others. And we flipped it in so many different ways. And in the concept of marriage, I, I get married because I think this person will make my life better. Yet the biblical narrative is that I enter into a marriage because of how I can serve the other person. The cultural narrative have flipped this idea of how we serve others in, in business. I'll, I'll go into business or I'll choose this job for, for how it can elevate a better way of living. And that in itself is not a bad thing. Yet if we read the biblical narrative, we enter into business relationships because of the, there is a more primary person we're working for. The cultural narrative has been flipped in parenting. I see this all the time with a kid who plays sports. We live vicariously through our kids' extracurricular activities. And so we have this concept where we believe falsely that people exist to elevate me. It's no wonder that we have such difficulty inviting people to the party that Jesus is preparing. 
In my mind, I'm processing how can my investment of time and energy and thoughts and resources in my family network, my vocational network, my commercial network, my geographical network, my relational network, how can all of this investment and invitation benefit me? I'm not, a pa- I'm not an accountant, Pastor Matt. But but as I'm processing this whole thing, when I reconcile all the effort that you're asking me to put into inviting other people, all I see is a net loss on my part. This isn't elevating me. But Jesus is teaching here that to be a part of the kingdom means you must come with humility. And Jesus is demonstrating this at at this dinner. He's he's going from row to row. He's going around the table. He's greeting people. And he says to the people at the party who are jockeying for the most important position at the table for social status, he says in verse 11 to them, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This truth is repeated three times in the book of Luke. It's repeated throughout the Gospels. It's an axiom of the kingdom. It's almost always true in this life. It's always true in the next life that if we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled by God. But if we will humble ourselves, God will exalt us. So as I consider this concept of inviting other people to the party that Jesus is throwing, is there a roadblock in my life that, that where I believe that other people exist to elevate me? Because if so, life will never be lived missionally if we're always trying to elevate ourselves. There's a second roadblock that Jesus mentions here in verse 12. And the second roadblock is living by the law of reciprocity. It's sort of similar to this first roadblock. But Jesus says in verse 12, if you do, talking about if you invite the important people, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. This roadblock to inviting people to the party that Jesus is throwing, one of those roadblocks is living by the law of reciprocity. I had been to L.A. three days in my life before we ever moved here. Two of those days, I had been invited out to a movie premiere with several ministry friends of mine to this movie that was being made by um, a a secular executive producer but a Christian writer, and it was, in essence, a Christian movie. And the reason why I was invited to the movie was because the audience for the movie was the audience that I had influence over. In other words, the people that put on the movie thought if we can get people in the room, if we can get people in the room who have influence over an audience, then their audience may follow as well. Can I say to you this morning, the gospel calls us to something greater than living by the law of what others can do for me because of what I've done for them. You don't want to live by the law of reciprocity. You don't want to live by the law of reciprocity. By the way, if you're a Christian this morning, you didn't come into the kingdom because of God returned the favor because of what you did for him. Or did you forget? Or did we forget God and his perfect goodness? God and his perfect unity in the Trinity. God and his perfect power and his authority to cause anyone or anything to give him glory. The God who lacked nothing and could benefit nothing from me. Do we still forget that that God still pursued us with an invitation to glorious salvation, to an eternal party with him? Even though we could do nothing for him. He didn't need us. We couldn't fulfill him. He was perfect without us, yet he pursued us with an invitation to know the God of wonders and glories. Now listen to me. Fundamental to the gospel. 
fundamental to the gospel is that we've received this gift of salvation that we didn't deserve, that we cannot repay back to God. We just receive it. By the way, sometimes we confuse what we've been teaching on here and what we'll teach on for two more weeks. Sometimes when we talk about sharing the gospel with others, some people in Christianity get nervous, like, oh, this is a work, like I'm doing all of these things to earn God's favor. You can't earn God's favor. You can't repay God by sharing the gospel. You share the gospel. You invite people because of what God has done for us, not in order to repay God for what he's done for you. The kingdom is about generosity, not reciprocity. And so Jesus is not telling this story here in Luke chapter 14 as some sort of social etiquette. He's not trying to parse your your guest list. He's not trying to filter out who you're inviting to your party. There's a much bigger picture at play in Luke chapter 14 here. Now listen to me. Here's the bigger picture. Do we see people as souls? Or do we see people as a means to an end? Do we see people as souls or do we see people as a means to an end? The, the, point, is, the point is that we, we oftentimes rarely think about others who don't benefit us. We're opportunists. One of the greatest threats to living missionally, inviting other people to the party that Jesus is throwing, is seeing people as a means to an end. Church, listen to me this morning. How do you see people? How do you see people? Do the people that you see have souls? Is the waitress who serves you at the restaurant this afternoon, does she have a soul? Is she a human? Your children's teachers, do, do they have souls or do they just serve your kids' education, your neighbors, your boss, your coworkers, the girl at the gym who swipes your card when you walk through the door? Do they have a soul? The checkout lady at the grocery store, are these people, are they human beings or are you trying to take the position of honor? Or do you say, everybody exists to make much of me. Everybody exists to make much of me, to serve me, to provide for me, to honor me, to exalt me. And when it doesn't happen, I feel disrespected. I feel angry. You know where this happens most often? In marriage. (laughs) She disrespected me. He made me angry because he didn't serve me. I feel disrespected and angry. Nobody has a soul but me. This is what we say. Nobody has emotion but me. Nobody can be angry but me. Nobody can be wounded but me. Nobody else can have a bad day but me. Nobody else can struggle but me. Nobody has a soul but me. Are we hindered from inviting other people to Jesus because we're wondering how we're going to be repaid? Are you living by the law of reciprocity? There's a third reason why we don't invite others to Jesus, and it's this. It's because we live for immediate gratification. Verse 14, although they cannot repay you, listen to what Jesus says, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Think about the life of Jesus for a moment. Think about the last three years of Jesus' life as he's teaching about the kingdom, as he's performing miracles, as he begins to experience persecution and hardship and suffering and insults. Think about the last few days of Jesus where he was whipped and beaten. Think about the last day of Jesus where he was crucified on a cross, the most horrible punishment that Rome could offer. Did Jesus endure those things because he enjoyed it? No, he endured those things because he was set on eternity. There was not immediate gratification for Jesus. He was willing to become weak. 
so that we could become strong. He was willing to become poor so that we could become rich. He was willing to take the low place so that we would have the seat of honor before the Father. He knew he would enjoy these riches in heaven with us. And he tells us, listen, live that way. Live that way. What we sacrifice here will be repaid in heaven. Can I pose to you today and, and just ask us, is, could that be one of the reasons why we have difficulty taking Jesus so seriously when he asks us to be inviting of others? Here's what Jesus promises about eternity. Number one, you will be repaid. Number two, heaven, heaven is, is lavish beyond our imagination, not just clouds, such as harps, such as angels. Listen, it's perfected creation. The new creation is similar to the old creation. It's just better. It's just, it's just perfect. It's just so much more. You say, yes, but it will be heaven. How could I enjoy it anymore if it's perfect? And Jesus would say to you today, why can't you enjoy life now the way I created it? The way I invited you to participate in it, the way I designed it should give you the closest glimpse of heaven that you will get on this earth. If you live it selfishly, you may still get heaven, but listen to me, you just won't experience it here. And so the kingdom of God has got this present future reality. It's got this present future reality. The present life that we're living is this glimpse of a better future. Many of us decide and choose not to live it in such a way that we anticipate the better future. As a youth pastor, I had the privilege of counseling parents and students often as it pertained to college and debt. And so a lot of times Christian parents would come in and they're like, I want my kid to get a Christian education in college. And I'm like, man, that's noble. That's awesome. But we can't afford it, Really? So, so you're going to send him off to Liberty University. No, some of you guys, Kyler has been to Liberty University. You're going to send him off to wherever, um, and you're going to go $150,000 in debt because you want your kid to get this education. Yes. Well, I, I just want to encourage you to really consider what life will be like 20 years down the road with $150,000 in college debt. My friends of ours, my wife and I, are in the process of divorce today. They're in the process of divorce today because one of the mounting crises in their life is this debt that they chose years ago that's divided their marriage 20 years later. And that's such a beautiful picture. And it's not a beautiful picture, but it's, a, it's such a picture of, of how we live for immediate gratification and we think about that missionally. What are these people going to do for me today? How is this going to advance me today? How can they reciprocate what, what, what I'm doing for them today? But if sometimes this immediate gratification that we live for in our life has these long-term unintended ramifications that we often can't see. And one of those long-term unintended ramifications of not living missionally, not living the way God designed us, is that we get to a place in our Christian life where we're like, I cannot remember the last time I experienced real real joy in my Christian life. And Jesus says, because you weren't living it the way I designed it. You were living for immediate gratification. How will they elevate you? How will they reciprocate something to you? But if we could just get this glimpse of a future reality where a life lived missionally will be repaid in heaven. Those are sort of three roadblocks that Jesus mentions here in Luke chapter 14 for why we don't invite people to the party. And given these three roadblocks now, can I, can I just ask you just for a moment as we're about to close, 
Can I just ask you for a moment to think about your life in a very general way? I want you to think about your life in a very general way. And I want to ask you this question. Who are the invited guests to your party? Who are the invited guests to your party? You see, Jesus didn't tell the story to filter our guest list. He's more concerned about how and why you're living and inviting others to Jesus. Last week, I was invited to another movie premiere. If your life were a movie premiere, who would be the invited guest? Listen to me. Who's the party of your life thrown for? Is it for people who benefit you? Is it for people who can't pay you back? People for whom you've poured out your life, just like Jesus poured out his. Think very practically just for a moment. Think about the career that you're in the process of building. Who are you building your career for? Can I press in just for a moment as I press in on my own soul as I prepare for this message? Is it for you? Have you asked God how he wants to use your life? Because we have a record of how Jesus used his. He poured his life out for those who would follow him. The reality in America is that we are literally the most generous people on planet Earth. The most generous people on planet Earth. We give away more than most people make. But the sad reality is the average American still spends 98% of their income on themselves. Maybe God gave you what he gave you. It was all his anyway. Maybe God gave you what he gave you so that you could use it for those who don't yet follow Jesus. Listen, Jesus teaches some hard things in Scripture. Jesus teaches some hard things in Scripture. And if we accurately understand what we're called to as a follower of Jesus, now listen to me, then we would see all of life through two filters. Number one, the filter of the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. We would see it through a second filter, the great commandment. Love God. Love other people. If we accurately understood what God called us to as a follower of Jesus, we would filter life through those two things. Now listen to me. <laughs> and everything else in life would be a blessing. The vacations. The places where we live. Other than rainy days in L.A., it's amazing. The clothes that we wear. And we would filter all of life through those things. But for most of us, listen to me. I'm pressing in on you as your pastor today because I think this is important. Listen to me. For most of us, it's the exact opposite. We live for ourselves with an occasional tip to God. Rather than pouring out ourselves and allowing God to bless us along the way, Jesus said the party of your life should be lived for guests who cannot benefit you, who cannot pay you back. Let me be crystal clear about what God is teaching us here, what he's calling followers of Jesus to here. And what he is saying is, this is a radical reorientation of your life and your possessions being used instead of on yourself, on others, for the glory of God, the greatest joy those have yet to experience. Church, look at me real quick. Is your life being used to invite others to the party that Jesus is throwing? You say, I give 10% of my life to God, Pastor. <laughs> but what about the other 90%? This isn't joint ownership. You aren't co-signers on the loan of life. 
If you're a disciple of God, God owns all of it. And later on in Luke chapter 14, Jesus makes this statement. It's so hard. It's so hard. Jesus says later on, just a few verses later, so then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. Does that mean I have to be poor, pastor? No. It means you have to live in such a way that God owns all of it. Your job, your car, your house, your bank account, your influence, your gifts, your talents. He owns all of it. And it's not 90% to be used for you and 10% for God. It's 100% for God. Your life is wholly owned by God. The question is, am I leveraging it as an invitation to God's party? You say, you don't understand how hard it is, Pastor Matt. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. 2,300 miles away from everything that's familiar, I understand. If you're going to live your life intentionally and missionally, it will require a radical reorientation of your life in at least four ways, and I'm going to be done. Number one, if you decide to take Jesus and trust him at his word, to be a person who lives intentionally and missionally, requires you to reorient yourselves around four things. Number one, you'll have to die to self-importance. You have to die to self-importance. It requires humility. It requires asking God to expose the areas of your life that prevent you from thinking about others. Number two, you'll have to die to paybacks. You have to die to paybacks. I know people who, sometimes I'm these people, who go out of their way to show off the house, to show off the china, to show off the skills. Because we believe that entertaining is about the host, reality, biblical hospitality is about the guest, and when we show biblical hospitality, we may not get a return for our efforts. You gotta die to paybacks. Number three, you'll have to die to comfort. This is death to this idea that Christianity is about the likes, about the drama, about the sensationalism. The reality is when we engage with other people to invite other people into the hot process, we must understand that hospitality is war. It's not easy. <laughs> if you come over to my house and I'm hosting you, I like to play music in the background, something soothing, something upbeat, oftentimes jazz. Reality is, biblical hospitality, it's not always soothing jazz. Sometimes the soundtrack to biblical hospitality is more like infinity war. This is war. This is hard. It's not always easy. It's not sensational. If we take God at his word, the last thing is we'll have to die to partiality. Do you know people who are different from you? Could it ever be said of you, you are a friend of sinners? Will you ever take the nickname that Jesus got, you're a friend of sinners? So we told you this would be one of the most practical series we've ever done. Each week there's a practical application. Last week we gave away a $15 Ralph's gift card. First week, we give out these cards and say, begin to pray for people. In two weeks, we're going to skip next week. We're going to give you an opportunity to engage with some books that you could give away. The fifth week, we're going to give you the opportunity to speak the gospel. But let me give you a very practical application, and we're going to be done here this morning. I want to first of all say that at Story City Church, we're always going to treat guests well. <laughs> We're always going to treat guests well. We're always going to be generous towards guests. We're not going to be cheap. We're not going to be stingy. It costs us money to give away gifts to first-time guests. It costs us money to put signs out. Some of you are like, why do we have to have signs? Why do we spend money on signs? It's not for you. You know how to get here. It's for the people who have not yet come. <laughs> We're not going to be cheap. 
We're going to be lavish towards those who we're inviting into the party. We will always be that way. And I will never apologize for it. So next week, Story City Church turns three years old. <laughs> yeah, you could cheer for that. Next week, Story City Church, technically February 14th, we turn three years old. But next weekend, we're celebrating, and we're going to throw a party. And like we always do when we throw a party, there's going to be free food. We've got a free taco truck next Sunday. We're going to throw a party. We're not going to be cheap. We're going to be lavish towards those we're inviting to the party that Jesus is throwing. So can I challenge you with something? When you came in this morning, you got an invite card. Seriously. Take, take me seriously for just a moment. I know the Rams jersey, but take me seriously for a moment. The first week we gave you a card. Five people, five networks, five opportunities. This week is invite. Next Sunday is our third birthday. Can I stick something in your mind? Three on three. What if you brought three people on our third birthday? Can I go even further to say, what if you literally invited all 25 people or however many people you have on your Mission 555 card? What if you did? Oh, but they're not ready to come to church. But why don't you trust God with that? <laughs> why don't you trust God with that? Why don't you invite somebody to the party next week? It's going to be celebratory. We're going to have food. It's going to be a blast. Why don't you take an opportunity to trust God? Take a shot. Trust God. Invite people to the party. Luke chapter 14, verse 23, and I'm going to close. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. God's making his appeal through you. God wants his house full. The king invites all types of people. You're included. I'm included. So let's take God at his word. Let's invite them to our feast. Let's invite them to the ultimate party. Have you received God's invitation? God has made his appeal possibly through a Sunday morning service, possibly through a neighbor. Have you taken God's invitation and trusted him? Have you been saved? Do you know Jesus? Have you given your life to Jesus? There's nothing magical or mystical about it. We don't make you stand on the stage, say anything you don't want to say. We don't embarrass you. Simply, we have a moment at the end of the service every week where we say, if you've never trusted your life to Jesus, this is the moment where we offer it to you, where you understand that God created you. He's responsible for you. God loves you, John 3, 16, but there's a problem between you and God as you currently stand, Romans 3, 23. The problem is sin. And if the solution to the problem of sin is never solved, Romans 6, 23 says the result is death, both in this life and the next. But Romans 5, 8 says, God in his grace and his love and his joy towards you provided a solution when he died on the cross that if you would trust your life to Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you received that invitation? Would you do it today? John 1, 12 says that all who received him, he gave the right to become a child of God. Have you received Jesus today? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to know you to participate in this life that you've designed for us, God. Jesus, I pray today that the spirit of the living God would begin to convince some of us that living life the way you designed it carries with it the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction, the greatest gratification if we would just trust you.
God, may we be a house that's always opening its doors to invite others in. God, may it always be. And if we ever become that, God, take me away. God, let us be that church that invites people in. Let us be that church that welcomes people to the party that you're throwing so that they can experience the greatest joy they've ever known. Salvation, eternal glory with you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Right now, we're going to go into a time of communion. We do this every so often here at Story City Church. Communion is the opportunity for us to remember the body that was broken on the cross, the blood that was shed for us. And so in this moment of communion, we... The Bible instructs us that this is a moment reserved for those who have trusted their life to Jesus. If you're here this morning, you're just visiting, I want to say welcome to you. We're glad you're here. If you've never trusted your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to use this moment in a prayerful attitude and a prayerful spirit as you observe what's happening. We're going to remember the body that was broken, the blood that was shared. Down front, there are tables. Up top, there is a gluten-free option as well. We're going to sing a few songs. As we begin to sing, you come down, take the bread. Take the juice and remember the life and the body that was broken for you. Jesus, we commend this to you. God, we remember you. We're grateful to you. We're thankful for you, God. What you did on the cross, how your body was broken, your blood was shed. Why, God? Not so that we could do something for you. We did nothing. We brought nothing to the table. God, you did everything for us. And your grace, your joy towards us, you died on the cross. And in this moment, we remember it. We celebrate it. In Jesus' name. Amen.